All right, this is Brent Leary, and I am here with the one and only Brian Solis. Solis, Brian, I know uh, you've got a brand new book, What's the Future of Business? I just like saying it because I know I'm looking at the cover right now, and there's a big WTF, which is kind of a, a nice way of uh, speaking what the future of business is. But, hey, man, it's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, and and uh, as one of your your loyal fans, it's also an honor. <laughs> well, hey, before we jump full bore into the book, um, for those who I don't know may have been under a rock over the last five to ten years, maybe you could talk a little bit about your background. You, you know, you've written a number of books. You're a much sought after speaker, but tell us a little bit more. Well, my name is Brian Solis, and uh, by day I am a a digital analyst over at Altimeter Group. I study how technology is affecting society and culture and, and business and try to reverse engineer everything to help, um, help those two roads between you know, customer behavior and, and, and business relevance sort of intersect as often as possible. And uh, by night, you know, and weekends, I'm a, an aspiring, I don't know, a digital anthropologist is probably a way to put it. And studying behavior and technology's impact on behavior and, and how that's changing decision making and how that's changing the world of, say, how someone doesn't just make an inf- uh, a decision, but how someone influences someone else's decision and vice versa. And uh, so this, this idea of uh, research and then also social science um, allows me to get a real unique perspective on how this world is changing. And I'll tell you, the, the, the thing that a lot of people don't necessarily know about me is that I don't study any one form of technology. I'm often sort of associated with social media. Uh, it just happens to be the flavor of the month. I, I look at all technology because once you live a digital lifestyle, you become part of what I call Generation C or Generation Connected. And it doesn't, it's not an age thing anymore. You, you now start to exhibit similar behavioral traits that I think the world could benefit from better understanding. So it's not about technology as much as it is about sociology, about psychology. And so even the people who do know me probably just learned something new. And then uh, for, for years, I've, I've taken everything I've learned and I've published it in research reports, uh, for example, at Altimeter Group. I've published, I think this is, uh, WTF is now the fifth book. Um, and I also blog at briansolis.com. I, I try to share as much as I'm learning to anyone who will listen. Absolutely. I know uh, some of the books that you've written in the past, Engage and uh, The End of Business as Usual. But before we jump into the books, you were just recently at South by Southwest. I was there too. I was only there for a day, and I missed something that happened during your session. Of course, you had a conversation with the one and only Shaquille O'Neal, which I heard a lot of great things about, by the way. Uh, but there's a lasting image <laughs> I got to ask you about. He actually has you. It's almost like a WWE style, and he's got you over his head. He's got a, I thought he was going to do some kind of a suplex or something, but well, what was going on with that? You know, it was, uh, it was one of the photo ops that we were doing right before we went on stage, and we were sitting there next to each other doing the traditional you know, photo thing, and then before I knew it, I was up over his head, and it's a classic image uh, where I just sort of gave myself to it, uh, not trying to fight it, just kind of went in and... Uh, he, he's sitting there laughing with his tongue hanging out, and it's just a classic picture. Um, and it's one, by the way, of several that 
I, I, I'm going to start sharing here over the next few weeks. Uh, one, there's one with me running out on stage with him uh, as, as they made the introduction for us. He put me on his back and carried me out there on a piggyback ride. Uh, <laughs> and another one where he, uh, he asked, uh, <laughs> let's just say he, he planted a big smooch on my cheek and started singing I Kissed the Boy, and I liked it. <laughs> oh, okay. Shaq is, I, I've always thought he was a good guy, but you just made him see even better uh, just by hearing those stories. Before we talk about the book, what, if anything, did you learn anything interesting about maybe the future of business or social media from Shaq when you were doing that conversation? You know, Shaq, a lot of people don't know this. Uh, and in fact, I, I did shoot an episode of my, um, my web series, Revolution with Shaq, that, that just aired recently. Uh, Shaq's an avid investor uh, and uh, an entrepreneur. Uh, a lot of people don't know that he was uh, an investor in Google pre-IPO. Um, he also has a lot of investments in, in companies like Five Guys and, and Vitamin Water. Oh. Uh, and he, he's, a, he's a very smart man, and he's also a doctor. Uh, he has studied, uh, I believe, human resource science. Um, he earned his doctorate recently. He is just always about getting knowledge uh, at the same time uh, he's pursuing comedy. So it's an interesting balance of, uh, of, of a human being that makes for something that's uh, unique, let's just say. Absolutely. Totally get that one. So let's start talking about the book, What's the Future of Business? Changing the Way Business Creates Experiences. Tell us maybe from an overall high-level perspective, why would you write this book? You know, I didn't, I didn't actually mean to write this book. Uh, I was planning on writing what my next book would be, uh, which sort of is a continuation of, this, of the end of business as usual and the future of experiences. I actually believe that the future of business is rooted in shared experiences. And I'll, I'll kind of explain it. You know, the, the publisher called one day and said, you know, we're all bought into the next idea, but we really think you should put something in between that idea and the end of business as usual. You just sort of said this is the end, so maybe what we need is an iterative step to show what's the future. And, and, and I fully bought into that. And I thought, you know what, why not use a book as, a, as an object to demonstrate the point of shared experiences? So I took a step back. I looked at the way business, you know, the end of business as usual, and I looked at the things that I hear all the time. I spend a lot of time in enterprise organizations. I spend a lot of free time working with educational facilities and small businesses to try to better understand their needs and see if you could take the same concepts and experiences at the enterprise level and bring it everywhere. And the one thing that was consistent across the board is that we're reacting to technology. So I'll give you an example. You know, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube hit the scene, and businesses are jumping in cannonball style and trying to use them as ways to stay in front of their customers and their prospects um, or their stakeholders. Uh, you know, mobile takes off, and suddenly we need apps. You know, we need to redesign our, our digital properties so that they can port over to all these different streams. You know, people start complaining on, on these networks and in these communities, and businesses have to react, and then they have to change their, their service infrastructure. And what's happening is that everything, businesses, schools, small businesses, everything is just starting to get into a reactive mode. And that's not a good place to be because technology is only accelerating. The next big thing is always here. 
And if we get into this, this, this cycle of just trying to react to everything, we are going to lose our footing. And when you lose your footing, you start to lose your relevance. And when you lose your relevance, it comes back to that thing that we were talking about earlier on digital Darwinism, which is that is when technology and society evolve faster than your ability to adapt. So earlier we talked about social science. And what I had realized is that if you could better understand what decision-making looks like, what the new touch points look like, how it affects people when they're making decisions, when they're researching, when they're making recommendations. You find the touch points. You find the native behavior within these communities of how they're being used and why they're so valuable. And then you learn that it's not a technology thing at all. It's a value thing, and it's a perspective thing, and it's you realize that how a company is organized today, how an organization is formed, it's so aligned with the traditional sales funnel that you have these unique silos that just don't talk to one another because each one of their jobs is to get you through the funnel. But now in a, in a continuous technology-fueled um, uh, journey, it never shuts off, and businesses now have to essentially work together inside the company to create a holistic integrated experience. I know those were kind of buzzy words, but the long story short is that the thing that everybody does, everybody shares, everybody talks about around your business is shared experiences, the experience that they have with you. And so when someone is trying to make a decision, the first thing they do is look to those shared experiences for validation or for information or for direction. And they're not so much going through that traditional route of, hey, Google, tell me what I need to know, and then find websites that just don't even load on your smartphone. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way anymore. So shared experiences is the future of not just brands, but just the future of business in general. How uh, do you find that companies are understanding that fact are, and if they are understanding that fact, are they moving quick enough to create the kind of experiences that you're talking about because that's what you need to deal with Generation C? No, not at all. I mean, you know, Generation C is, is – I don't even know if Generation C realizes how powerful they are. Let me give you a quick example of, of what I mean by that. Generation C is who they are because they are connected, right? And the more you are connected, the more you are informed. And the more you are informed, the more empowered you become. And as you become empowered, there's this subconscious or conscious sense of entitlement, right? Your expectations go through the roof. So now you're an expert. The people you're connected to are experts. You're all sharing positive and negative experiences. They, they go into this virtuous cloud and none of those experiences disappear, right? They don't, they don't go invisible. They stay there for someone else to find in the future. And at some point, that collective of shared experiences becomes bigger and louder and more touched than your website or your media buys or the message that you're pushing out there. The thing about shared experiences is that they are the very thing that influences somebody in the next steps that they take. And businesses right now are reacting to those experiences. But what if you could say, I'm done with reacting? I mean, still, we're always going to still have to respond to people because we're in the people business. But what if we could shape 
the experiences we want people to have and share so that we can, like we use traditional media over the past decades, we can work with people to actually give them something so incredible, so meaningful that they can't help but share it. So that becomes the cloud that's formed. And so it's essentially just getting in front of it and saying like Walt Disney did once and what Harley Davidson did once and what a lot of businesses figure out, like Virgin America and Zappos, it's not, it's not the fact that how they use technology at all. It's about how they just started with a blank sheet of paper and they said, this is the experience we want to give to people and what we want them to feel. And the net result of that is because technology is becoming so human, it's an emotional landscape. Right? I call it the ecosystem, lovingly, of course, where people are at the center of their own universe. And because it's an emotional landscape, you are going to share what you love and what you hate. It's the same thing with Amazon reviews, for example. There are either going to be five-star reviews or there are going to be one-star reviews. And anything in between is sort of really not, not the majority. It's either fives or ones because people take that passionate extreme. So that's what I'm saying is the businesses don't get it, but they could and they should. And it just takes taking a step back because then technology right, becomes the enabler. Right? All of these channels, all of these tools that exist, they just become the thing that people use and that you use to bring that experience to life. You talk about disruptive technology is a catalyst but not a reason for change. How many companies are still looking at technology as the silver bullet, the Hail Mary, the thing that they think will change the game for them specifically, specifically. not the cultural changes that they need, but just trying to use technology as the game changer? Yeah, I, such a good question. You know, disruptive technology, I live in, in Silicon Valley, so disruptive technology is what, it's a business objective. <laughs> I have to disrupt markets. <laughs> it's a word that I think is sort of losing, losing its meaning, but it is, it is certainly what, CMOs and CIOs within organizations are, are really struggling with. Um, you have on one hand, and you know, you know this better than anyone, you, know, you have on one end legacy systems and technology roadmaps, and people are making decisions you know, 18, 18 months ahead because it just takes that long to make a decision and implement and train, etc. But I think over the years we just started putting stuff on top of other things because we, that's what we're supposed to do. Technology was just part of the equation for efficiency, automation, uh, to use another buzzword in business world, operationalization. But it wasn't necessarily driven by a vision or a purpose. Right? And I think business could benefit from rethinking what that vision and what that purpose you know, could be or what it should be. And technology then, like, like experiences, just becomes a manifestation of what it is that you're trying to do or what you're trying to accomplish. So instead of saying on the outside level, hey, marketing, jump all over these social networks because that's where everybody is, or inside the organization, hey, let's get, a, let's get an enterprise social network in play. Um, let's figure out what all the next collaboration tools are. Let's get mobile apps and mobile access and embrace the you know, bring your own device movement. You know, take a, a, another step back, and I think this is a recurring theme in, in the conversation, is taking steps back to realize what are we trying to do and how are we going to get there. And, and by the way, once you realize that, that you can find that answer, again, it's not a technology thing. Technology is then a, a, a part of the solution. But if you don't know what problem you're trying to solve or where you're trying to go, then again, even inside with your technology investments, you're just moving and reacting. And so that's why technology is not a catalyst. 
it isn't the reason for change or the catalyst even, I guess. It is something to bring your vision to life. And this is why I believe that leadership, this is a time for leadership and not management. And I think businesses are caught up in a rut of management. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. Um, we were running out of time, but I wanted to ask you about the six pillars of social commerce because we all know that companies are trying to leverage social mobile to cloud to do what? Sell stuff, find customers, and keep them longer. Can you talk maybe at a high level what your six pillars are? Well, yeah, they're, they're definitely uh, – they're, they're pillars that I reference um, in, in the book, and they are the work of someone else. It's Robert Cialdini uh, has published what he called the six pillars of social commerce. And I don't mean social commerce per se by – you know, social media. I just mean sort of social commerce and how human beings interact with one another and how that information exchange influences what people do or what people think, right? And so he, his work found six, and, that, and those six were sort of adapted into the, into the world of social media. Um, and <clears throat> the six pillars are essentially uh, social proof, you know, when in doubt, do what everyone else is doing. Um, authority, so earning a position of, say, value in any one of these networks because you continually help people. Um, so for example, uh, businesses that put out creative marketing on all of these social networks aren't necessarily earning authority, but people like, I don't know, Mayo Clinic uh, or um, Mint.com that consistently produce objects that help people, that give insights, that answer questions. And that earns a position of authority. There's scarcity where something that is uh, sort of like less is more. So you don't have to be everywhere all the time. But when you do, it should have, it should have a reverberation. Um, liking, well, earning sort of building relationships. And by relationships, I mean not just moving and reacting or following people. I mean by having meaningful exchanges is another pillar. Consistency so that you're um, – not just in one network or in one place um, all the time, but all of those networks, so mobile, social, web, then to the screens on smart, and then tablet, and, and laptop, and television, that it's a consistent experience across each one of those channels. And right now, all those experiences are broken because they're, they're designed to be broken. They don't work together. None of those departments handle that. You know, the web side is handled by somebody else. Mobile is handled by somebody else. So consistency is another pillar. Um, and then the last is reciprocity. And to me, this is the most important part. Um, you know, in, in a network, whether it's in the real world, whether it's online, if you look at communities, just old school communities, where people are asking and answering questions all day, every day, the people who are answering questions and helping one another, they earn a form of not just authority but reciprocity where people feel sort of thankful that you came in and you helped them. And there's a – look, at the end of the day, there's a lazy web out there. People would rather ask a question than look it up to find the answer. And so people that are willing and proactive to, to answer those questions earn Reciprocity and reciprocity can be delivered back in the form of a of a referral of a purchase, and it's a powerful thing, right? We've all heard that expression of you know a, a happy customer used to tell one person, uh, unhappy unhappy customer told everyone. But in in the new world of social commerce, if you could if you could reinforce positive behavior, reciprocity is the most powerful of all of these, and that's what we're talking about. And that's the future of shared experiences. 
and reciprocity plays a big role in that. It's been a great conversation with Brian Solis. And, Brian, uh, kind of ending on this, this theme of reciprocity, uh, I, I think a lot of companies, you know, the kind of, let's say the traditional companies built, you know, before the social era kicked off, really. When they think of reciprocity with the customer, they think of the customer paying the money and the transaction <laughs> taking place. Uh, yes. But we know now that customers think way beyond that, and they want to be valued beyond that. And you, you talk about in your, your chapter, Innovate or Die, you CMOs being at the crossroad of customer transactions and engagement. I would say even at the small business level, it's more, it's more than just a CMO because typically the small business owner is the CMO, the CFO, the CEO, the chief bottle washer, everybody. So talk a little bit about how do they get past this crossroads of expanding their idea of reciprocity from transactional to really having a full-blown extended relationship with the customer that goes beyond them pulling out their wallet. Yeah, well, you know, that, that starts with just uh, – I, I used to say if you wanted to be a customer-centric business, you have to start by wanting to be a customer-centric business. And, and I do believe – look, small businesses, big businesses, I do believe – that people do really want to do the right thing. At least I'm a, I'm a hopeless optimist, so I, I hope that they want to do the right thing. And I think we just sometimes forget that we are also customers of other businesses, and that's why I'm a big fan of that show, Undercover Boss. You know, and the reason why I am is because it's, it's always the same ending, but it's just a wonderful journey to watch an executive remind, be reminded what it was like to have you know the one of the employees' jobs or or to walk in the day in the life of their customer, and at the end of every show they're given the gift of empathy, and it's empathy that brings about change. You know they say, "Wow, I'm just so disconnected. I was I got so caught up in running the business. I I my my only reality was the spreadsheet. Um, my only real audience, my only real customers were the shareholders, you know, or stakeholders. And even on the small business side, you just sort of get caught up in running the business, and then it becomes a daunting task. Oh, my website needs updating. Oh, this, what's this new app over here? And what's this Foursquare thing? And oh my goodness, what's Yelp? And <laughs> you, you, you get caught up in reacting. And when you get in, in, into a position of, of reacting, then psychologically it's a negative thing, and you don't want to embrace it with enthusiasm and creativity and ingenuity. So empathy, I think, it kind of comes back to one of the reasons I love those six pillars so much is because they're all very human. And empathy is probably the, 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 the ties that bind all of those pillars of commerce. If you care about somebody, you know, you come into my shop or, or uh, I'm your client, you know, the nice thing about that is that we have an opportunity to build a real-world relationship, a, a, an online relationship, but I also want you to remember me the next time I come back. I want every one of your departments to know who I am when I have to deal with some various aspect of our relationship. And that today is disconnected, and it's because it was a technology-first solution, right, CRM. You know, it's handled really by one department. If I walk into a store and, you know, you don't know who I am, but say the person before you knows who I am, you know, like that's – technology gives you the ability to sort of change that whole experience now, but you have to want to. And you have to want to be able to define what that experience should be. So this is actually a real magical time, I think, for every business, every size and shape, every organization, even government. <laughs> it, all has to, it all starts with really caring instead of trying to sort of just 
manipulate or react to what that transaction is all about. You know, the transaction is an important part of the life cycle, but now in a world of shared experiences, the transaction is only one of those moments of truth. And the other moments of truth before, during, and after a transaction are probably as or more important because people are sharing their experiences every step of the way, and they're influencing the next person who comes into the equation looking to make a decision. Uh, that's awesome. It just brought to mind uh, the folks at HubSpot asked me to provide a, a quote for one of their ebooks they did recently, and, and one of the things I thought about the most was, in today's world, every interaction with you know, a company has with a customer, you know, the relationship is only as good as that last interaction, so you better not make that last interaction the last interaction by providing a bad experience. Uh, and I think you just crystallized that as well. So this has been great. What, what one or two things should people walk away with after reading the book? Well, what I hope they walk away with is the better understanding that there's, an, there's, an, there's a need for an integrated experience, there's a need to define what that integrated experience should be, there's a, 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 the ability or the need to see that your product isn't just the experience, it's everything. And then lastly is to recognize that now, I bring in Joseph Campbell's hero's journey at the beginning and at the end of the book. And at the beginning, I, I talk about the customer um, as the hero in the journey, and I show the challenges that they go through and the opportunities that you have to reach them. And at the end of the book, though, sort of reintroduce the hero's journey to say, look, by now you get the importance of this. But it's not going to happen by itself. And everything that I've learned is that change comes down to one person who then is able to generate support or build support or community within their movement to bring change. And so I say at the end of the book that you are the hero in the hero's journey. And I talk about the steps that you need to take to bring about change, the challenges you're going to face, and how to break through them. And that right there is the part that I hope people really walk away with is that it has to come down to somebody and hopefully it's the person putting the book down. And that to me, is what this is all about. Someone has to be the change agent, and someone has to feel the confidence, the inspiration, and just the motivation to just go and do it and know it's going to be hard, but the benefits, the results, the advantages are just so great, but they come from fighting for change. Well, all I can say is I hope that everybody has been inspired to go and check this book out because there's a lot of great information in here. Brian, where can people get the book? Well, there's a, there's a website for it. It's uh, WTFbusiness.com, um, but it's everywhere that books are sold. So please do, uh, please do take a look, and I, 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 just, I hope you love it. And I'm listening, too. If you, if you share your thoughts on it, your experiences with it, I'm paying attention, and I'm responding to everybody out there. Very cool. You always do that anyway. You're really great about that. But I will say this about the book. It's got its own kind of style and vibe to it, man. It's a really cool design. Well, that, I thought if you're going to talk about the world of shared experiences, then why not take something as traditional as a book <laughs> and try to make it an experience? And that it's a, it's a square shape. It's, it's, it's designed to look and feel like a coffee table book, not like your traditional business book. And by the way, it's written and designed in a way – that emulates how people are reading online, um, how people are reading on their smaller screens. It's, uh, it's very visual. 
I worked with the folks at Mechanism who did the Beyonce Pepsi commercial at this year's Super Bowl to, to help design it. I call it an analog app because it, it, it even has a slider that you know, kind of gives you the sense that you're moving through an, uh, literally a journey. Um, so it's, it's gorgeous. It's four color, but it was intentional. It was, it was, it was a, a statement to say, look, business books don't have to look like business books. They can be exciting because this is an exciting time, and they can be incredibly visual because who wants to read a whole traditional page of, of text nowadays? That's not the way you're reading when you put the book down anyway. So reinvent a book, and if you can reinvent the idea of a book and make it an experience, imagine what you can do in any business. You know, I'm taking notes right now, Brian. As you know, I kind of <laughs> kind of working on something there. So that's great. I really t- I appreciate the time you took today. And once again, get the book. It's a great book, The Future of Business. What's the Future of Business? Brian Solis. Brian, thanks again. Thank you so much.